welcome to the Woodly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. <laughs> I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and repeated meme. And I'm Lucia Kelly, expert at applied analysis and bitchy trampoline. And we're here today to talk about The End of the World, second episode of Doctor Who, Series 1. The End of the World aired on 2nd of April 2005. It was written by Russell T Davies and directed by Eros Lynn. Reminder that time isn't a straight line. It can twist into any shape. And as such, this is a fully spoiled podcast. We might bring things in from later in the show, the comics, the books, or even fan theories and articles and fan fiction. With that out of the way, Cassandra's about to kill us all to profit off our rival companies. So let's get in the TARDIS. Hey there. This is Talia and Lucia from the future, here popping in to remind you that we aren't British. We're from the United States and Australia, and that means that we don't always get things 100% right when talking about how systems work in the UK. Our external lens and unique perspectives are part of why we wanted to make this podcast, but are a gap that we recognise when we are talking about the show in this and all of our episodes. For this episode in particular, we want to also put in a content warning for discussions of trauma, self-sacrifice and suicide, PTSD, acts of war, death, ableism, racism, and transphobia. So what I love about season one, and they don't do it for any of the other seasons, which is kind of upsetting. They do this a couple of times where episodes will run directly off from each other. So... There's no time between the end of Rose and the start of the end of the world. We have the little recap and then Rose literally runs into the TARDIS. Except and I love that. That Rose doesn't wash her fucking hands. I know that there wasn't a pepperoni in 2005, but you still got to wash your hands, Rose. You were touching that dirty chain. Like, I know you got the bronze, but don't you also have rope burns? What the hell? You have rope burns? Do you have chain burns? Did you also get the bronze in hygiene? We have questions. Yeah. None of which are answered. (laughs) I'm just saying. But yes, Rose runs into the TARDIS, abandoning Mickey in an alleyway and her mother. No thought for either of them. (laughs) But this isn't about them. We're never going to see them this episode, except for very briefly, we're going to see Jackie. And the doctor is basically... Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Sidebar, sidebar. (laughs) When is that for Jackie? I do not think. I think that is before Rose left. Me too. I don't think the events of Rose have happened at the time that phone call comes through. Me either. Because if it was in real time, if we're looking at Rose as a consistent timeline, if we're following Rose's time, Mm -hmm. Jackie would not be reacting to Rose like that in that casual way, in that sort of, it's just another Wednesday, if the events of Rose had happened. She really wouldn't. She wouldn't. So who knows? Who knows when she called Jackie? Okay, so the doctor takes Rose on a magical adventure and he's like, where do you want to go? Backwards or forwards? And she's like, forwards. And she's like, cool. And I love this. He's like, let's go to the 22nd century. No, actually, let's go to the new Roman Empire. Let's do this. Let's do that. And it's a mark of both Billy and Christopher's 
acting that when I'm watching that scene, I 100% believe that the things he's saying are just outside those doors. Nothing has happened, but I do. So I believe it, but also I was making sex jokes in my head. Because <laughs> she was like, oh, you're so impressive. And then he's like, just watch me. And then he's like, jerking. He's like, jerking with artists. telling him to be more impressive and he's like pump like that didn't occur to me the first 10,000 times I watched this episode because I watched this episode so many times but this mm. one, I could not unsee it it's just them grinning at each other the things that poor TARDIS has seen I feel so sorry for her <laughs> she has to be a silent observer to so much bullshit I feel even more sorry for her if you'd read some of the fanfics I have yeah, no, we're not going to see the TARDIS alive until season six? Six? Six or seven. I one of them. Not seven. It's, I know it's the one that Neil Gaiman wrote. But yeah. that's all I can remember. Really good. Yes. Um, oh, no. Don't make me think about that moment. Don't make me think about that scene. We're talking about the Doctor and Rose's first date. <laughs> Which, yeah, oh my gosh, let's talk about the fact this is the episode where we truly establish the Doctor as a trauma victim, and in particular, a war veteran with PTSD. Because what does he do? He has just experienced, regardless of the theory about there's 100 years between this episode and the last episode for the Doctor, he is still so much living in that trauma because what's just happened, what we find out at the end of the episode is that what is happening to the Earth now happened to Gallifrey not that long ago. Mm -hmm. We will later find out that it wasn't a sun, it wasn't a natural occurrence. The Doctor did it on purpose. The Doctor was the reason that Gallifrey is no longer viable. And, um, so, and, and Rose, yeah. <laughs> Ro Rose the moment, Rose. It's... <laughs> I'm just saying, Rose was there. Rose was there. And what he does for their first date to be like, let me show you the world. I'm going to show your whole planet burning. Is this the Doctor trying to create shared trauma with Rose? I mean... I kind of, kind of like is this is this his way of getting to the point at the end where he's like by the way my whole planet's dead <laughs> like I don't feel comfortable saying that out loud until you recognize the full depth of what that means so I'm just going to traumatize you real quick I gotta also say for me this episode hit really different for all the jokes about not washing hands this episode hit really different watching it in the midst of the pandemic mm. because for me watching the whole earth die and explode and like all the people gone from it but more importantly the fact that after all that happened they go back 
to what the world was like before. Like, the fact that the doctor can just reverse everything. And there's that quote that the doctor says that I've heard a million times. I Mm. think I have it written down in a journal, but this time when I heard it and I was watching it actually made me tear up was Mm. the doctor says, you think it'll last forever, people and cars and concrete, but it won't. One day it's all gone, even the sky. And then he says, my planet's gone. It's dead. It burned like the earth. It's just rocks and dust before it's time. It hurt to hear that. (laughs) I mean, obviously the planet is still mostly here, but with the pandemic and climate change and like everything that's been going on, it's, oh my God, it's really scary. (laughs) And Mm. the line just hit different than it did the first time I watched this episode in high school or even... Like I said, I've been re-watching these episodes with my dad. And so when we first watched this episode together recently, and I first heard that line, it really hit me. And then when I heard it again, it hit me again. And so, yeah, the last couple of times that I've watched this episode, it's been really real. It has. And also, given we're talking about this, I just want to point out what every time I think about it, I just get blown away by what a ballsy move that was. Because old who, right? The Time Lords are still 100% there. The Doctor has removed himself from that society on purpose and also been banished for part of that as well. He and Time Lord society have a very tenuous relationship but they're always still there Gallifrey is still always there the time lords are still always there you can always go back and see them and he's very much established as being connected to a society even if he's not part of it to then as the revival to literally blow it out of the sky and be like nope he's the last time lord now there are no time lords left this is it Gallifrey no longer exists to do that and to make the doctor a war veteran suffering from PTSD it shifts the dynamic of the show so completely suddenly there's a whole new backstory to the doctor that has never been there before and there's a whole new dynamic to the doctor and there's a whole new depth to him that has never been explored before and it's just it's so ballsy like I can't that's such a crazy I want to be in the writer's room when that idea came up. I want to know how Russell T Davies was like, oh, and by the way, we're blowing up Gallifrey. (laughs) Like, what was that conversation like? I kind of wonder almost if that was, I don't know if that was his idea or if that was the idea that got them to reboot Doctor Who. I don't know what got Doctor Who rebooted. I think the 1996 movie was originally supposed to be a reboot. It was what is referred to in the business as a backdoor pilot. Basically, a backdoor pilot is something where it's often used in context of standalone movies or an episode within a previously established TV show that basically acts like a pilot for a new show. So it's basically about testing the waters, seeing what people think about it, how people react without actually putting any real money behind it. I do want to mention that very briefly, because it comes up later, 
we have this moment with Rose where when they're walking through the spaceship or as the doctor points out it's more of an observation deck about the definition of people versus aliens so there's this very brief moment it's a two-second conversation where the doctor says there's going to be all these people around there's a intercom announcement referring to guests and Rose is like so when it says guests does that mean people doctor responds Depends on what you mean by people. Rose says, I mean people. What do you mean? The doctor says, aliens. I would like to point out, at this point in time, Rose is also an alien. Yeah. They are all aliens. Yeah, so the vibes I get from this is that so the doctor's answering Rose's question. Mm. So the doctor is understanding that when Rose says people, she means humans. Yep. So when the doctor says, it depends on what you mean by people, and she says, I mean people, what do you mean? And he says, aliens, meaning when I say people, I mean aliens. Mm -hmm. I always interpreted that as to him, people are aliens. And the subject of people, like the subject of personhood is throughout the whole episode, not only with Cassandra's overt racism and ridiculous bigotry. Because Cassandra says that at the end too, she says it defends the definition of people and that's a technicality to keep your lawyers dizzy for centuries. Yeah, so I get the feeling when the doctor says people and what we as the audience are meant to take as people is sentient being. Like it's not got anything to do with who or what you grew up as, what your species is, like do you have the capacity to speak? Do you have the capacity to communicate? Do you have the capacity to think as a sentient being? That makes you a person. Which also feeds into this whole, the staff, which is just... Let's talk about the blue people in the trees, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Two things. Yeah. All the staff are blue. All of them, except for the steward, are little people. And why is that? Why is that? Why have we made that choice? Yeah, why? It just... mm, The fact that they're not allowed to speak unless they are given direct permission. And the fact that they are all painted blue, which, let's be very real in sci-fi a black person is usually given a full body paint job in either green or blue yeah like they're not allowed to be black on screen in a sci-fi environment yeah and let's also talk about the fact that the one person who actually gets a speaking role speaks in english and not like and also the translates everything so they should be able to translate the staff except it doesn't translate the staff even when talking to the doctor who supposedly can speak every language but then there's this one random person who like is able to Rafalo? Rafalo the plumber? Rafalo? Yeah Rafalo yeah. yeah so Rafalo is super subservient and thanks Rose for giving her permission to talk like it's super super creepy I get bad vibes from all of it. And then she gets murked. 
She does immediately. And the steward also gets murked. And then all the other staff don't have speaking roles and most of them survive, we assume. But like... They are closer to the ground and the light seems to be coming from above. So they might have been fairly safe, actually. Yeah, but it's... Being small would have been an advantage in that situation. Yeah, but it didn't help the guy who... And also, oh, let's also talk about... What was his name? The other... The The Mox of Balhoon? The Mox of Balhoon, who was also blue, who was one of the only characters who was in a chair and thus i don't know if it it wasn't really a wheelchair it was like a hover chair it was coded as a wheelchair though like it was coded as a wheelchair and he dies this episode is incredibly ableist i'm just saying and then also cassandra's definition of people because when he dies the staff members die and oh why am i blanking the steward yeah the steward dies and jade jabe her name's jabe jabe yeah and Jabe dies, which she did not need to die. She did not need to die. I am so pissed about this. Both Jabe and the doctor know that he is a time lord. He can regenerate. Jabe is made of wood. The doctor could hold that damn lever down and he would survive. And Jabe can go turn off the damn switch. She does not need to die. She does not. It is completely stupid. It's completely pointless. It's, completely- it's just killing a black woman for no reason. Yeah. And also, she's also a black woman who's not allowed to be black. She has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the. And then also, just sidebar talking about trees. She talks about how she's descended from the. Tropical rainforest. Tropical rainforest. Yeah, because she doesn't even say which rainforest. Yeah. She's like, I know I've got it in my ancestry. <laughs> yeah, no. And then the worst part of that for me was like, okay, wait a minute. If the trees are descended from trees on earth and all the people are gone from earth, does that mean earth doesn't have trees anymore? It's green when we look at it. So earth is green, but plants are sentient. And also personally for me in my particular tradition, I also see all parts of the earth and plants as having their own spirit and energy and if the earth were destroyed i would mourn the deaths of all the plants and all of that and everything the same way that i would mourn deaths of animals and also feel like i have a very strong connection to nature in that way so for me the deaths of all of those trees and all of those plants and all of that and also all the insects, like I think all the insects are gone from Earth. And are they sure all the animals are gone? Because some animals burrow pretty deeply in the Earth. So when they say all the people are gone, they just mean all the humans. Like Yeah, all human adjacents, as Cassandra would say. <laughs> yeah. They just mean all of the sentient beings are gone from Earth. That they yeah. know about. It's quite possible even that there are pockets of humans or human adjacents or other sentient creatures that they just don't know about that weren't afforded. Personhood. Yeah. And I just. Yeah. 
But also, thank God Rose did talk to Raffaello because this is the moment where she realizes the depth of what she's done. <laughs> she has this whole moment where she realizes she's done the equivalent of just literally running into a strange man's white unmarked van. Also the moment where she and the doctor are fighting and then she gives up because she's like, well, as my mate Shireen says. Shireen says. Shireen. Shireen. first mention of Shireen. Yeah, as my mate Shireen says, don't argue with the designated driver. And I'm just like, oh. Mm. I also just get such creepy vibes from so much of this. Yeah, that whole conversation is, again, in the vein of this theme of personhood and identity. So Rose is going through culture shock, right? And this is, again, what makes me feel like the Doctor has not had a companion in a really long time and definitely hasn't had a human companion in a really long time. Because what he does is he takes her from normal 2005 regular London and just immediately not drops her in the deep end like slam dunks her into the deep end is this is what it is your planet's dead there are hundreds of different types of aliens you're all alone I'm your only contact by the way I'm the only person with the keys and also my ship gets into your brain and translates for you like holy shit man don't do that yeah, no. Also, remember, even though Billy Piper is an adult, she is 19. 19. Okay, and also, not only is she 19, but also she left school when she was 15. 15. Has just so she's also not fully educated either. Like Educated and has just been working since then. And like, yeah working full-time is an education in and of itself but it also means the culture shock is almost double because she just hasn't been exposed to like for me obviously I know that education is different in the UK versus US but I didn't really start learning a lot of world history until my later years in high school Like, yeah, we learned a lot of it in middle school and some of it in freshman year of high school, but a lot of it, and especially a lot of stuff about global politics, a lot of it ended up being in later years. Mm. I don't even know. Maybe the educational system in the UK is better. I hope that it is. Yeah, Rose has got the equivalent of a year nine, year 10 education. It's just so, and this is why we need to talk about the power dynamic between the doctor and their companions, because it's not talked about. It's not talked about in show and it's not talked about in analysis of the show. All of the companions, but particularly Rose, is so at the mercy of The Doctor has all the power in this relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's so, I know the word gets bandied about a lot, but it's so toxic. And the fact that it's not talked about, the fact that it's not discussed, the fact that's not out in the open means that 
the doctor is allowed to go on and live in a world and live in a reality that is completely disconnected from the reality that his companions are living in. And they don't talk about that difference in experience and that difference in reality. And like, they get mad at their companions going and wandering off and doing stupid things or like, why did you do that? Or that doesn't make sense. But from their perspective, it does make sense because very often they're left abandoned with no rules and no sort of understanding of when or where they are Mm. and what the rules are. It's a parent dynamic where the parent has established no discipline. Yeah, and also sometimes sometimes it's just really dangerous and really upsetting. We'll get there, but some of the episodes, like, Rings of Akaten, like Clara and Eleven, just grinds my gears. There's a point where, like... Clara and Eleven are a very particular dynamic. Clara is also, like, I'm so... hmm. Clara and Riversong are going to be interesting to talk about. Women written by men. It's a fun subject to explore. (laughs) Yeah, but... Let's talk about fantastic, beautiful men. The face of Bo is here. (laughs) Hey, Captain Jack Harkness at 11 million years. (laughs) We find out, there's a sideline, that the face of Bo has in fact organized this event. So Jack organized this. This is his party. He does not say hi to the doctor at all. He does not acknowledge his existence. And I love that. And I actually thought back because I was like, wait, did Jack know the ninth doctor? But he 100% does. That's the first doctor he meets. So there's not even the, (laughs) yeah. So there's not even the excuse of like, well, he doesn't know that's the doctor. He 100% knows that's him, but he does not say anything. And it's so, I love I love the pettiness of that. I love the fact that Jack in his beautiful queer self was like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. And then three weeks after he realizes my identity as the face of Bo, he's going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, that bastard, he didn't say hi to me. Okay. So the thing is, Nine is the doctor who abandoned him. That is so true. Nine is the doctor who knew him first and who abandoned him. Hang on. Doctor's advocate. The doctor did think that Jack was dead. (laughs) No, he didn't. He knew that Jack was alive. He knew that Rose had resurrected him. Did he? Yeah, no. When Jack comes back with Martha, Jack asks why the doctor left him. And the doctor says that Jack was alive, but he was wrong that he shouldn't exist, that he was a fixed point in the universe and he shouldn't still be alive. That is, I hate- oh, I'd forgotten about that. Tend for that moment so much, like. Oh, so actually, oh, never mind. 10 is the doctor that I can't stand with Jack. But actually, I gotta say that I lied when I said River Song was the only companion that I ship with the doctor. I also ship Jack with the doctor because Jack- yeah. Um, well, immortal and super old and so is in the doctor's age range because Jack knows how 
problematic the doctor is and has had time to reflect and I feel Mm. like Jack is one of the only people who like sees the doctor for who they are and very much especially after children of the earth and what Jack has been forced to do I feel like Jack is one of the only people aside from the master who can truly understand what the doctor has been through I would say if there's anyone other than the master who I ship with the doctor it's Jack also Jack ships himself with everyone so <laughs> actually I ship Jack with pretty much everyone yeah yeah because also okay so the only person I ship Jack with emotionally is the doctor mm-hmm. more personhood theme the way that Jabe treats Rose don't do that don't do that don't do that don't do that prostitute <laughs> wife and at least rose calls it out where it's like whatever i am i must be invisible address me please (laughs) ma'am but jesus i had not realized until we started talking about it just how much personhood was a theme in this episode which is even touched upon when she's where rose is like they're alien they're so alien like you look at them and they're alien and then the doctor, which again, thank God it gets called out. He's like, good thing I didn't take you to the deep south, dickhead. Stop saying things like that. Yeah, no. And then she's like, stop making cheap shots about the deep south. Like, yeah. like I'm going through a moment here, a moment you put me in. The least you can do is care for me. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, not make jokes about racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, can you get your ship to ask permission before it invades my head, please? Yeah. Like, can we talk about that? Can we talk about consent, maybe? Because that's not okay either. (laughs) Yeah. And also, circling back to Jabe for a second, can Mm -hmm. we talk about the fact that she talks about identify his species, and then she's like, stop that. Tell me his race. And I'm like, oh, ooh, ah, ooh, I don't like it. I hate that. First of all, this is going to lead into my science that doesn't make sense. She takes one photo from the front. I know this isn't the main issue, but this is the bit that stuck out to me because now I'm focusing on all the science bits. She takes one photo of the doctor from the front. We then get a close-up on the little screen. It now has a rotational 3D model. Excuse me, where did that come from? Well, no, she doesn't take a photo. She takes a scan. Like It's still only from one side, hon. It's still only from one side. She needs to rotate around him to get that full coverage. It makes no sense. I'm so annoyed. Okay, okay. (laughs) Also, especially combined with that little... Last episode, we didn't talk about it, but Jackie is not an unproblematic fave. She does have her moments. And there's this one moment in the last episode where she's talking about getting compensation from the government and she mentions her friend who got money off the council because someone behind the desk told her that she looked Greek. And even though she is Greek, that's not the point. And... uh... No, okay. So actually, I do understand why she got compensation for this. Because Mm. I do get what... Okay. So actually... In this moment, I fault Rose, not Jackie. Interesting. Um, 
so Rose says, I know she is Greek, but that's not the point. So I took that to mean that the person was saying that she looked Greek in a negative and racist way. And that's why she got the compensation. Because I do know, I'm not totally well-versed on the politics of the UK and everything, but I do know that they have a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment. And I've seen a lot of discourse about the fact that anti-Black racism is not the only kind of racism that they have over there. There is a lot of racism against Europeans who are not Anglo-Saxon and also really anyone who does not fit the description. Basically, there's a lot of racism there. So Mm. basically what I took that to mean was that she got compensation because someone was being nasty to her because of her ethnicity. And so I fault Rose for not recognizing that this person was being racist. Okay. And that's also something we've got to recognize is that this show was written and built and made by people who lived within that system. Like primarily by white people, primarily by white men, this show is written by. And so there's a lot of stuff in here that I think I used the term last episode too as nouveau wokeness. So this is like, just when people are starting to realize that privilege is a thing. (laughs) And so there's a lot of work to call that out, but without any education or direction. So it all comes off as very bad. (laughs) It all comes off as very bad and very lightweight. And so it does lead people to fault Jackie. It, It does lead people to think that Jackie's being extra and Rose's dismissal of it and Rose's saying, oh, she shouldn't have gotten compensation for it, is actually delegitimizing this issue. Mm. It's an actual issue that someone was being racist towards Jackie's friend, but his dismissal of it makes it seem like it's a joke. Yeah. And we've been so busy talking about the racism that we haven't even gotten to the implicit transphobia. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's talk about that. So Cassandra has this offhand line and she and first of all Rose refers to her as Michael Jackson which is okay but Cassandra and Rose are looking down on earth and they're having this conversation and Cassandra says that's where I used to live when I was a little boy down there. Yeah and I just that makes me so mad. There's just so much to unpack there. I kind of want to throw away the suitcase. But so especially as a trans person, I am just so offended. <laughs> I'm not offended at the fact that there's a trans character in the show. Because that's fine. I actually think it would be good to have an explicitly trans character in the show. But the fact that it's sort of implicit that it's played for laughs, that that person is in fact a bitchy trampoline, is like, what the hell? It's not even like it's a mistranslation or anything, because Rose has that in her head. Like, Rose understands it as English. So to dial it back, 
Cassandra says, when I was a little boy. So that implies that when Cassandra was younger, she identified as a boy. So that means that either she transitioned or is gender fluid or some sort of thing is going on where she is gender non-conforming. And I've always interpreted her as being gender non-conforming also because of her later episode, New Earth. But in this particular episode, it just plays into how the only real representation that queer people and trans people are given in media is as villains and often as super campy villains Mm -hmm. and like villainy villains (laughs) and a lot of times it's villains that we get the urge to identify with because we're like oh this is someone that I think is really interesting and cool like I love Sasha Dwan's master I love Missy I'm not really a fan of Sam's master because yeah Can I get to his whole keeping black people as slaves on a ship for a year? We'll get there. (laughs) But like the fact that we're at episode two and we're having this is just yeah, there's a reason that I hardly ever watch this episode. And it's almost entirely because of Cassandra pissing me off. But yeah, no, like Cassandra is both a delight and someone who makes me very angry. Yeah, yeah. Her first episode just makes me so angry because she's so terrible. Mm -hmm. Also, the thing that makes me most upset in this episode is the way that the doctor just ruthlessly lets her die. (laughs) Yeah, no, we will get to that. Similarly to Jackie last episode, Cassandra is mainly played for a joke, which I think is the core of the issue. She's played for a joke, and the joke is that Cassandra is a high femme, campy supervillain. That's the whole joke. Who doesn't know anything about what she is supposed to be an expert on. She doesn't know Mm. how to be human, even though she's the last human. She doesn't know what an iPod really is. She doesn't know Mm. what a traditional Earth ballad is. She is wrong about everything that she claims to know. And she's also not a white supremacist, but a human supremacist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a hyper-capitalist. Mm-hmm. So she's all of the is. Oh, and she also apparently has had a lot of husbands. Yeah, that whole she's a femme fatale. So with Jackie, it was like, we're going to make fun of the stereotype of the tight-fisted single mom. And in this episode, we're making fun of high femme trans women. And it's like, wow, (laughs) you guys are not doing good. Two for two. Yeah. Wow. It's bad. It's really bad. And when we get to next episode, they're going to fun of the simple servant girl. So that's fun. Yep. Yep. Actually, you know what? We're going to get there. I think they do slightly better with Gwen. It's still not great, but I think they do slightly better with giving her agency and making 
her we'll get there when we get there but i think they're a little better with gwen they undo it when she sacrifices herself they do good and then undo it because she sacrifices herself for all of them it's an automatic loss when they kill themselves yeah no okay (laughs) i'm serious it's an automatic loss if they die for the cause at the end in my opinion So having talked about all the problematic things in this episode, let's talk about how they kill the steward who's just doing his goddamn job. The tone with which he says, will the owner with the blue box, it's the exact same tone as like, will the owner of the blue Subaru? I have never identified with a character more. <laughs> yeah, and when he's like, what are you doing here? And then he immediately accommodates. And also when he says i've never had i've done this on this platform and this platform and i've never had a problem and it's just so upsetting because he's clearly good at his job he's ascended to a position of relative power and then he's just frantically pushing computer buttons and then he's just like he's dead by the spider he's murdered murdered by the spider and then they say there's a horrible smell and the doctor's like i think that's the steward and it's just like yeah sickening yeah it's awful it's so so bad but before that even happens the doctor and jabe have had a conversation and this is where the episode gets a five out of five for acting because oh my god (laughs) the way that the time lord story is teased out from the beginning of rose to the end of the end of the world is so intricately done and the emotion on christopher eccleson's face the single tear single like i I just just, i could feel (laughs) it and you see how close to the surface that is like how close the doctor is to breaking And I wonder, so I want to know the thought pattern that made him take Rose to this place. Because what's happening? Like, he's traumatizing Rose. We've established that. He's also re-traumatizing himself. He is recreating the circumstances in which he went through a major trauma, in which he is also making the explicit decision not to save the world. He is choosing to let it die in the same way that he chose to let Gallifrey die. And also because and... like his second home mm-hmm. like, where he has, he loves earth. He loves earth. He has found so many companions there. And I almost wonder if that's why he's done it. Yeah. It feels very much like trying to come to terms with a traumatic experience by recreating it being like if I can go through this again and not cry I'm cured and it's like that's not how it works on yeah. <laughs> please go to therapy and I almost wonder if that moment where he and Rose go back is part of why he does it because he wants that experience of watching it all end and also the reassurance of being able to go back to before it ended. 
Yeah, because the other tragic thing is that I can't remember who puts the time lock on Gallifrey. Is it the doctor? I think so. Because that's the other thing is that he can't go back to Gallifrey at all. Mm-hmm. Like he can't have that. He brings Rose back to the present or at least the 21st century. Again, she doesn't contact Nikki. She doesn't contact Jackie. She's like, that was a super traumatizing experience. Let's go get chips. Strange new man I just met. <laughs> and then let's go to the 1800s. <laughs> All right. Also, important to mention, this is the first mention of Bad Wolf. Bad Wolf is mentioned very, very briefly. There is a moment where the Mox of Balhoon is talking to the face of Bo. It's an establishing shot of the lobby. We're clearly coming in the middle of a conversation. And he says, indubitably, this is the Bad Wolf scenario. I find the inherent laxity of the ongoing multiverse. Rah, 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 rah. So we are already laying that groundwork. Very interesting. I was always under the impression that the first mention of Bad Wolf is next episode, but it's not. It happens here. Yeah, I hadn't even caught that. Yeah. Beautiful. So is there anything else that you would like to say, Talia, before we get to our big points? Not really. That about covers most of it oh and no there was two moments or okay so the thing that made me interested was what you were talking about with whether or not the doctor can interact with Gallifrey and other time lords is because the doctor does interact with other time lords and so how does that work if Gallifrey's time locked? I think the way we can resolve this is that it's specifically the doctor's TARDIS is not allowed on Gallifrey. (laughs) I think it's that if the doctor tries to go to any point in Gallifrey before it gets blown up on his TARDIS or if he tries to, if he's the one establishing the contact, it doesn't work. But Gallifrey can contact him. No, because the doctor, or maybe it's because Gallifrey isn't actually gone or whatever. Mm, yeah, which, oh. Or, but no, because the doctor definitely interacts with other Time Lords and with past versions of himself. That's fine. I think he can do that that's fine it's the actual place of Gallifrey like he can't go back to Gallifrey but if they want to meet on a neutral moon that's fine okay that's I would have to say this isn't my favorite moment but I kind of was a little bit delighted by two moments which is where Cassandra gets mad at the doctor and says I bet you were the school swat and never got kissed (laughs) that line is hilarious and i love that that's her comeback though like she's just been revealed to be behind this major conspiracy involved in multiple murders scheme and she's like you were never kissed as a boy (laughs) like that's your comeback and then also when the world is about to end the doctor is like you lot just chill 
when the ship is heating up and they're all about to die. That just reminded me, this is the first time, but it won't be the last time that we lock Rose in a room to remove her agency. And I hate that. Yeah. So Rose gets locked in the room. The door is literally melted. And then we just switch to Jabe being the companion for the rest of the episode. And it's so... Yeah, and also when Rose gets trapped and Charles Dickens is the companion, and it's just, how many times is Rose going to get locked in a room? Like, why do we do this? But anyway, I guess we're going to move along to our least favorite moments and our most favorite moments. What is your least favorite moment of this episode? My least favorite moment is when Jabe dies because I get so mad every time. It's so unnecessary. It's so stupid. We're just killing a black woman to kill a black woman. There's no point of it. It's also that the doctor can have this moment of serenity connection to his people before he steps through a fan. It's so pointless and stupid and annoying and it's completely avoidable and it makes me so angry every time. And also the other reason it's completely avoidable is because if he was able to do that, he could have done that the whole time. Mm-hmm. He'd be holding down the lever. Also, he could just use the TARDIS to get there. We've established the TARDIS works within the observation day. The yep. world is ending. The teleportation ban is no longer in effect. Don't worry about it. Let's just turn off the switch. Use the bloody TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <sighs> the TARDIS is obviously stored with the other shuttles. Just go to the TARDIS. Even if it took a while to get to the TARDIS, the TARDIS is a fucking time machine. Obviously, you can't go back on your whole timeline, but you can go back a couple minutes. The doctor's done that before, gone back a couple minutes just to, like, make sure that he's... <sighs> okay. <sighs> okay. Anyway, like Cassandra broke the teleportation ban. The doctor can too. The steward's not yep. even there anymore. Because he got Who's gonna tattle on you? Just do it. Save the world. <laughs> yeah. And it's anyway, that's also my least favorite moment. I would say favorite moment is that moment that has made me cry the past two rewatches, but like the thinking it will last forever, people in cars and concrete, because dramatic things and sad things make cry. I am obsessed with the cycle of life and death. My favorite moment is going to sound really shallow compared to that. My favorite moment is when Toxic starts playing. I love it every time. (laughs) It's so funny. I love that these are traditional ballads by the world's greatest composers and we play Tainted Love by Soft Cell and Toxic by Britney Spears because, yes. Spears is in fact a ballad of the best sort. Yeah, so I think it's a case of Cassandra is not always right, but she's got the spirit. She knows her stuff sometimes. Who would you say is the yeah. who and the Adam? I mean, the Adam is obviously Cassandra. No contest, in my opinion. I suppose she is because there's no one else, but I hate giving her the Adam. Because I love her so much. <laughs> it feels so... It feels so wrong. But I need to give it to her because there is no one else that's... You are actually the worst. She's the worst. 
she is the worst so she has to get it she's but. the worst like, not like an adam worst but she is like the worst she is she is the worst in this episode and for that she must receive the adam yeah hero i'm gonna say jabe yeah i was gonna say jabe also because herself because the doctor was being a because no one was thinking no one was thinking of the trees oh how are we gonna grade this all right so for direction i'd give it a five i give it a yeah no i i think i might actually change that to production value because we end up talking about a lot of other stuff as well yeah. So it's now about production. Yeah, everything's gorgeous in this episode. Every time I watch this episode, I stress about the fact that they probably blew about 60% of their whole budget on this one scene where all the aliens come through. <laughs> like you have six or seven different aliens that are all these gorgeous designs and super distinct, super beautiful, but also like you are on your second episode of your first season. Please do not spend all your money. <laughs> okay, okay, wait. Backtrack. I wanted to talk about the fact that the doctor's gift is air from is the air from his lungs, and he's breathing on people. He's <laughs> breathing on people. I watched that, and I was like, ah. Balhoon spits on people so I'd say the oh, doctor comes out ahead okay so when I saw the doctor breathing on people I cringed I curled up on myself I was covering my face I was no and then the <laughs> Balhoon spit on Rose and I swear I like I could not I actually I think I let out a little shriek the mox of Balhoon is dead so we won't be spitting on any more people <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it with my dad and he was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, there's a pandemic. <laughs> I think I was so upset. I didn't even call it a panoply. You- I used the word pandemic. Oh. And also that that's an okay gift. Like, I just want to know what the standard of gifts are because Jabe seems to be the only one who got the memo. She's like, I'm giving you a little houseplant. It's very personal to me because it's a cutting from my grandfather. This is from the heart, but it's also something to decorate your home. And then the other gifts we see are air from the lungs, not just general air, but air that has been breathed in and then breathed out again. The way that she shudders. She's like, ooh, so intimate. (laughs) And it's like like such a way that creeps me out. Yeah, and then we have spit, and then we have secret spiders. We don't see what the other gifts are. We assume there are more. So, this is a high-class event. Why are you spitting and breathing on people? Give people houseplants. Can we give the writing a one? No, that's me. Yeah. Let's give it a two. No, we're giving it a one, because it really was. It really just was. No, wait, you're right. Because it also had great doctor stuff. It had great doctor stuff. I want to give it a two just because of the line that I keep repeating, which is you think it'll last forever people in cars and concrete. And also I want to give 
the acting at least a four if not a five because of when rose says we were so busy saving ourselves no one saw it go that moment oh my god and the fact that again she could be talking about gallifrey the parallels between earth and gallifrey in this episode are so clear and the way that so the quote is the end of the earth it's gone we were too busy saving ourselves no one saw it go all those years all that history and no one was even looking and I'm just like like I'm actually feeling myself tear up as I read that out loud thinking about how that would land on the doctor because that's how Gallifrey ended everyone was in a war everyone was too busy saving themselves the only person who even like do you think the doctor watched as it burnt or do you think he looked away I think he couldn't do it I think he couldn't because now I'm just thinking about the end of this season finale where he has to pull that lever and he and the emperor Dalek have a conversation about cowardice and that's a whole that's hours and hours away but we will get there there. so yeah science okay yeah the scanner the species scanner I hate it with my whole entire being (laughs) I hate it I think it's the worst I think overall the science isn't that bad it's not just the fact that it's a little okay the scanner is wrong I can put that aside I can take maybe just half a point off for that it's the fact that so what is it is it an encyclopedia is it connected to a universal internet what does it do how does it work (laughs) oh it makes no sense and it also so we know history from the doctor's perspective but what do other people think happened? I have no idea. Because, like, so, like, yeah. So what was in that scanner? What did Jade read? I mean, What did it say? She just knew about the Time War. And so when she saw he was a Time Lord, she knew. Because when the nesting consciousness found out... He- also, from that point of view, where they're from is five billion years past where the Time War ended. Because we established that the time war ended around 2005. Like, we know that the nesting consciousness was on Earth because all of its protein planets died. We're later going to find out that the Gelf also were affected by the time war, and that's why they're coming through in the 1890s. Like, Mm -hmm. it happened in that time period. Mm -hmm. So... Five billion years is a really long time. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, it, it, it makes me so mad. <laughs> it, I mm. mean, we've got the feeling that the time war raged across all of time and space, and so everywhere was affected by it. But yeah. But then, when would Gallifrey get destroyed? Because Gallifrey, Gallifrey is surely right everywhere. Why me? Why me? It doesn't make sense. But also, the other thing that makes me angry about the science. This is what this section should be called. It should just be called "Lucia is angry about science." 
<laughs> um, that's not how light works. It's not how radiation works. The whole sun filter thing and the radiation and also the fact that bloody, as soon as there's a single crack in that observation deck, they should all be pulled out into the vacuum of space. Any crack through, like, pretty sure space is a vacuum. If you have one tiny hole in your spaceship and there are no shields at that point, you're all dead. Have fun. Rubric, should we be, shouldn't there be an option for zero? There surely should. Let me put that in there right now. <laughs> I think science should get a zero. <laughs> you get zero points. Zero points for science this day. So, rewatchability. How rewatchable is this episode? Two. Two? Yeah. Because I guess it's the same as the writing, right? Like, the brief doctor moments in there are so good. They establish character so well. They establish the world so well. It's a really important episode in terms of basically setting up the whole world and what this new who is going to look like. Everything else about it, I can toss. I also, while I do the math and figure out what this episode got, this episode continues with its establishment of Rose's compassion and her ability to connect with people. It does a great job, and the next episode's also going to do a great job of unpacking Rose's privilege and how she thinks about herself. But also, like, as soon as she readjusts her framework to be like, people include everyone, right? As soon as she does that, she's right back to the Rose we know in terms of, like, she connects with her fellow, she talks to her one-on-one, -on -one, like an equal. She's there making sure that everyone is okay. She wants to save Cassandra at the end. She asks the doctor to help her. Whenever I watch these early episodes of Who, I think about at the very end of the season four finale, where Ten talks to Rose about how much she means to him and what she did, which oh, I have... There are complicated Rose 10 feelings, but that moment and their relationship and what Rose means to the Doctor mm -hmm. is so meaningful. And we really see it in these early episodes, just how angry the Doctor is, just how hurt he is, how he's lashing out, how he doesn't. like. And there are problematic elements to this where it's like, the man learns compassion from a woman, like all that kind of bullshit. But in terms of person to person, Dr. to Rose, the way that Rose is that support system for the doctor and helps him by simply being herself. There's no sit down. There's no like, hey, you need to sort some things out because you're not, acting with compassion and not acting with care for other people that her very presence helps the doctor to heal mm -hmm. is very emotional for me and on that note I will reveal 
that the end of the world gets a C minus. <laughs> Gosh, it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. I'm sorry. It's 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone go on Twitter right now. I don't care when you're listening to this episode. Find Talia's Twitter and just tweet, go to bed, Talia. Because I 100% guarantee, no matter when you text her, it will be an appropriate and right notification. Our goal as a community is to get Talia on a proper sleep schedule. (laughs) That's our goal as a community here. On the plus side, they did very well today and did not talk about fanfiction even a little bit. You have a full 10 minute timer, so well done. (laughs) All right. On that note, should I go to bed? (laughs) Yes. Good night, everyone. Have a good time. We'll see you soon. Go to bed, Talia. Hey! In fact, I'm really just that tired. We only talked for an hour and 47 minutes that time. This has been the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time. If you'd like to find us elsewhere on the internet, we are on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram as at WibblyPod. You can also find out more information about us and our content on wibblywobblytimeywimey.net and full transcripts for episodes at wibblywobblytimeywimey.net slash transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can send us an email at wibblywobblytimeywimeypod at gmail.com. That's all for now. Catch you in the time vortex.